0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, this is Jonathan from Kentucky in the United States. I started listening to Korean music a couple years ago, and that led me to the podcast version of One Fine Day. And I really enjoyed uh, Lena's segments with the other guest hosts about uh, dramas and several decades of Korean music. And I learned a lot. and It was very entertaining. And I discovered that I could download the KBS World Radio app and listen to the rebroadcast and also hear the music. Uh, so it's pretty much a daily listen for me at this point. I uh, also like to check in on K-Pop Connection Um, because they play great music as well and also keep me informed on entertainment news. And I just want to wish everybody at KBS, and especially the people that make it possible, a a happy 70th birthday, and I look forward to the next milestone, uh, which will probably be 75. Uh, So I'm still going to be a listener then, I'm sure. Thanks. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you, wherever you are.
1: Hello, it's Monday, the fourth of December, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host Won Jang-woo. President Yoon Sung-yeol has carried out a major cabinet reshuffle replacing six ministers ahead of next year's general elections. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we'll be discussing how artificial intelligence could help South Korea manage the effects of the labor shortage it is facing due to the population crisis. And coming up for Monday's sports roundup, we'll cover how football club Suwon's Samsung Blue Wings have suffered their first-ever relegation in their decorated history. We have all that and more on today's Euro 24. A major overhaul has been announced for President Yoon Sung-yeol's cabinet. On Monday, the presidential office announced that six ministers were being replaced, including the finance chief slash deputy prime minister. The former senior presidential secretary for economic affairs, Choi Sang-mok, has been tapped to replace Choo Kyung-ho who is expected to seek a third term in parliament from his district in Daegu at the general elections in April. For this and other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service, Kim In-Young, hello. Hello, chang ho So this is President Yoon's biggest cabinet reset to date. First, can you
2: tell us about the new nominees? Sure. He replaced six ministers, as you said. The biggest change was the appointment of Chesang Sang-mok, former senior presidential secretary of economic affairs, to replace Chu Kyung-ho as the new finance chief and deputy prime minister. Former president of Sungmyeong Women's University, Kang jong ae was named the new minister for veterans affairs. President Yoon also named Song mi a former senior researcher at the Korea Rural Economic Institute, as the new agriculture minister. Park Sang-woo, the ex-chief of the state-run housing developer, Korea Land and Housing Corporation, was selected as the new land minister. Kang Do-young, the president of Korea Institute of Ocean Science and Technology, was named the new oceans minister, while second vice foreign minister Oh Young-ju was tapped as the SME's minister. Can you tell
1: us the reason for the shakeup?
2: The first reason is that a number of ministers are expected to run for parliament in next April's general elections. Finance Minister Chu, Veterans Affairs Minister Park Min-sik and Land Minister Won Hyul-yong a widely expected run which would require them to vacate the ministerial posts. A second factor may be an attempt to stabilize the UN administration currently mired in disarray, following South Korea's failed bid to host the 2030 World Expo in the southeastern port city of Busan and the sudden resignation of Korea Communications Commission Chief Yi dong But despite rumors, Foreign Minister Park Jin was not replaced as the country's top diplomat for his leading role in Busan's World Expo bid. And some
1: interesting characteristics of the reshuffle have been noted. Can you tell us about them?
2: Yes, you've probably heard of the term SONAM, which is the Korean acronym for Seoul National University graduates and males in their 50s. In the latest reshuffle, President Yoon shifted away from his past preference for this group, with women comprising half of the appointments. There was also more diversity in the new nominee schools, with only one graduating from Seoul National University, Two graduated from Iwa Women's University, one from Songmyang Women's University, one from Korea University, and one was from Inha University.
1: There was also talk of more reshuffles to come. Can you explain?
2: Sure. The top office was in, is reportedly reviewing the possibility of replacing Justice Minister Han dong with speculation rife that he's also preparing to run for parliament next year. Yun is also expected to nominate the new chairman of KCC, the media regulator, as soon as later this week.
1: Yes, in the meantime, there will be confirmation hearings for the nominees, but parliamentary approval is, of course, not needed for their appointment. Still, we'll see what is brought up during those proceedings. Shifting to other news now, South Korea was successful in conducting a third test flight of a solid-fuel space rocket on Monday. According to the Defence Ministry, the space launch vehicle lifted off from a floating pad four kilometres south of Jeju Island at 2 p.m., putting a small Earth observation satellite into orbit at an altitude of 650 kilometers. Can you tell us more?
2: The previous two test flights had dummies loaded in place of a satellite, but Monday's flight carried a first-stage booster and a 100-kilogram synthetic aperture radar satellite made by Hanwha Systems. Hanwha said its control center in Yongin, Gyeonggi province made successful contact with the satellite at around 3.45 p.m., According to a military official, the first-stage propellant is the most important part of a rocket, given that it generates the largest propulsive force, adding that the South's space rocket has a thrust that is one-and-a-half times stronger than North Korea's solid-fuel engines. The official also stressed that the South's rocket, although it has the same basic technologies as an intercontinental ballistic missile, was designed as a space rocket, and its purpose will not be changed. The latest launch is part of Seoul's plan to deploy five recon orbiters by 2025, to keep tabs on North Korea amid its increased nuclear and missile threats.
1: Meanwhile, the Unification Ministry said that North Korea's recent criticism of South Korea's suspension of the 2018 military agreement is an attempt to sow internal discord within the South. Can you elaborate?
2: At a press briefing on Monday, Unification Ministry spokesperson byung Sam condemned the North for what he called repeated false claims of a Seoul's justified suspension of the deal in response to Pyongyang's military spy satellite launch. Ku denied Pyongyang's claims that Seoul has blasted anti-North Korea propaganda on loudspeakers over 3,200 times this year, saying the military has not broadcast any content near the border in accordance with the currently active ban. The North's ruling party mouthpiece the Rodong Sinmun earlier accused Seoul of persistently violating the inter-Korean deal, threatening the tragic downfall of the South.
1: In other news, the government announced a total of 2.3 billion US dollars in humanitarian and development aid to war torn Ukraine to support the country's post war reconstruction and the participation of South Korean firms in various infrastructure projects. Can you break down the numbers for us?
2: South Korea will provide 100 million dollars to multilateral development banks next year and offer another 200 million dollars in humanitarian aid to support war ravaged Ukraine. A further $2 billion will be put towards Seoul's Economic Development cooperation Fund in the mid-to-long term to enable local firms to contribute toward Ukraine's infrastructure, reconstruction and modernization. The announcement outlines the aid package first pledged by President Yoon Song yeol while attending a group of 20 summits in New Delhi in September. In
1: more domestic political news, prosecutors raided Gyeonggi provincial government offices on Monday over allegations that main opposition Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung condone the illicit use of a provincial corporate credit card by his wife during his term as Kyungi Governor. Can you tell us more?
2: The Suwon District Prosecutor's Office searched Gyeonggi Province's southern and northern offices to obtain related evidence. Restaurants and stores where the corporate card is suspected of being used are also included in the search warrant, indicating E as a suspect on charges of breach of duty. The prosecution launched the investigation after the state anti-corruption agency handed over the outcome of its review of a complaint filed by former Gyeonggi provincial employee and whistleblower Cho Myung Hyun in August, who was summoned for questioning in October. Last year, Cho disclosed that his wife Kim hye and a former provincial employee surnamed Bae used a corporate credit card for personal reasons, prompting an investigation into the alleged breach of duty. Finally, according
1: to the South Korean government and businesses, the Chinese Customs Agency abruptly halted export procedures for urea deliveries bound for South Korea last Thursday. So what did Seoul have to say about the situation?
2: The government believes that China has unofficially restricted exports of urea, a compound used in diesel vehicles to prioritize domestic supply. Trade ministry spokesperson Chen Hamo said on Monday that the customs delay has been confirmed but that no political background has been verified through various communication channels. The spokesperson said the delay has been attributed to an internal strain in the supply of urea. Today, Trade Minister andok urged his Chinese counterpart to take immediate steps regarding the customs delay during the fifth meeting of the Free Trade Agreement Joint Commission in Beijing. Seoul says it has a sufficient inventory of urea to last about three months.
1: Yes, Korea is especially sensitive to this issue because the nation faced a urea shortage crisis back in October 2021 as well, when China regulated the exports of urea back then that threatened to disrupt transport and energy industries. Uh, We'll see how this situation develops. Uh, That's all for our news briefing today. young thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. In recent weeks here on Korea 24, we've had discussions about the so-called demographic cliff that the nation is facing and the labor shortage that will ensue. We've also discussed possible solutions such as increasing immigration and even how potential reunification with North Korea could mitigate the problem. Today, we want to explore what the development of artificial intelligence could do to help the nation face some of these challenges. This comes after a study by the korea chamber of commerce and industry earlier this year found that generative ai could potentially unlock 476 billion dollars of productive capacity in south korea equivalent to almost a third of the nation's gdp in 2022 to discuss how ai could help the economy address future labor shortages and other social issues we have joining us on the line now esther Chung, a reporter for the korea jungang daily Ms. Chang, hello, and thank you for your time today.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: You've been writing about AI and the impact it could have on Korea. Uh, There was even one report with quite a provocative title, Can AI Rescue Korea's Aging Society from the Abyss? But before we try to answer that, can you remind us about Korea's demographic challenges? How fast is Korean society aging? Uh, What issues is the nation facing because of that?
0: Mm.
3: So, Korea's ultra-low birth rate and rapidly aging society pose an existential threat to the country that experts have estimated the nation's population of some 50 million today will be the second oldest in the world by 2050, that it'll be halved by 2100 and even go extinct by 2750. Um, Those are some extreme projections, but this is because Korea suffers one of the world's lowest total fertility rates today, and has been for years um, fertility rate by the way it measures the average number of births a woman is expected to give during her reproductive years um, so you need at least 2.1 to maintain the current population size and countries usually experience the rate lower than 1.0 when they when they face national crises like warfare um, and korea has been an anomaly here because of how rapidly it's dropped and how long it stayed so low um, it dropped from around 45 in the 1970s to below 1% by 2018. And this, as you said, coupled with the rapidly aging society, is yielding some serious projections on the nation's economic capacity. Um, the elderly population, and we're talking about people over age of 65, is projected to take up some 40% of the total population by 2050. Um, that rate of aging in Korea, it's, it's, it's been double the rate of Japan for the past 10 years. Uh, which is also one of the world's fastest aging societies. And it's uh, particularly concerning because the country's, uh, the proportion of the country's main working population, or those people aged between 25 and 54, uh, is expected to drop from being the second highest among the OECD countries to one of the smallest by 2050. Um, so, so some experts are saying that while it used to be that Uh, Three young people would support the welfare of one elderly member of society in the 1990s, that this will change to to -to one-to-one by 2030. And that also gives rise to concerns on whether the national pension system will be sustainable by the time today's young people retire.
1: Right, so it's a stark situation. As you said, some uh, extreme projections have been made as well, including the extinction of uh, Korean population by 2750 at the current rate. But uh, that is perhaps more of a hypothetical uh, reality. Uh, There are more immediate concerns, as uh, you've mentioned, uh, especially what population decline and a rapidly ageing population could mean for the nation's economy within our lifetimes. And while there have been various solutions and suggestions raised on how to tackle this, a more recent technological development has sparked uh, some people's imaginations, and that's AI. We've seen various advances such as ChatGPT in recent months that have changed our perceptions of what AI could do for society. So with that in mind then, Ms. Chow, what do economists and experts that you've talked to say about AI AI's contribution to the uh, nation's productivity and economy. Can you tell us about what you found?
3: Mm, Sure. So the projections are very positive from the economists in general. Um, The Korean Chamber of Commerce and Industry, they said using AI to produce goods and services in Korea will bring around 480 billion US dollars more into the economy, which is about a third of the country's GDP last year. Uh, They particularly pointed to uh, what further automation of Korea's manufacturing and service industries could do for the economy. Um, Korea's manufacturing industry is already one of the most automated in the world today. Um, the industry has access to one robot for every 10 employees, um, according to World Robotics last year, and the ratio is significantly higher than that of the neighbors in the region, like Singapore, Japan, China, or or that of Germany and the United States. Um, and, and they've Take uh, take an example of companies like POSCO, which has, uh, which is actually one of the first countries, I mean, first companies in the country that have actively started applying AI to their factories, um, calling them a so called smart factory system. Um, So overall, there is this uh, general positivity towards the idea of using AI to support the country's um, dwindling labor force. Um, Whether there is enough the government support to do this is I think it's another question. Um, there has been some backlash in the research sector, particularly recently on the decision to cut next year's budget on uh, R&D by about 5 trillion won.
4: Mm.
1: Right, indeed. So uh, essentially, you're saying experts are saying that AI could potentially help raise the productivity that the country is set to lose from the decline in the working population and help keep... Uh, The nation standing as one of the top economic forces uh, in the world help keep that afloat but of course there's also the flip side there are concerns that while ai can be utilized effectively to uh, cover for some jobs that might lack a labor force so there will inevitably be jobs that might become redundant or be replaced by technology as well can you uh, elaborate on these concerns as well
3: yeah the the economists and the the ai experts that i spoke with They've generally pointed to jobs that are focused on repetitive tasks as the first ones to go with the development on AI front. Um, they some some of them said that taxi driving may be critically at risk um, with the wider introduction of self-driving vehicles to the industry. Uh, we know that just tonight, the Seoul City government is actually beginning to roll out a pilot project on self-driving night buses. Um, but coming back to the the issue of taxi drivers, many of them today are also aged over 65 and and there's a question on how ready the industry and may be in retraining these workers for another sector or or upgrading their skills to be more ai savvy Mm. um and and other i guess other jobs at risk that they mentioned included also delivery jobs um which we're seeing already uh, replaced by delivery bots in in other parts of the world um, as as well as uh, simple data processing jobs
1: right so Jobs, certain jobs could be at risk while AI could help uh, the economy in other areas. But hopefully, overall, it's hoped that the AI uh, will be more beneficial for the uh, economy rather than detrimental. There are also other side effects that are hoped can come from AI, I understand. Uh, For example, uh, helping. Uh, with technology that helps uh, meet the needs of the older generation, especially as Korea, as we've mentioned, is becoming an age society. certain technologies are be developed, right. Uh, can you give us some examples?
3: Right. There have been some recent initiatives uh, led by local governments um, in partnership with some companies to provide care services for some of these elderly members of society, um especially those living alone. Um, About a fifth of uh, Korea's population aged above 65 are estimated to be living alone, and a company called uh, Wonderful Robot recently developed a type of caring robot for the elderly, which can basically hold simple conversations and notify their owners when it's time to take their medicine if they're taking any regularly. Um, and one, I guess one other example I could give is there's a district office of Tobong in Northern Seoul. They began a pilot project in April this year to about 40 elderly residents in the district. Um, the robot basically has an emergency response function and it allows people to verbally request help, um, and immediately connecting them to their guardians or, or related facilities. Um, SKT has an AI speaker that's been providing a similar service. Um, for the past couple of years, I believe they provided it to around 17,000 people in the country um, for the past three years. And they say that about 6,000 emergency calls were made, and of them, around 250 were associated with urgent medical emergencies. Um, and and not, I guess not only speaking about the elderly population, but there have also been signs that AI is being used in the area of welfare uh, for children. Um, as one example of an AI-aided bot designed to have conversations with elementary school students, it recently was able to discover a case of child abuse at home uh, in one of its regular visits and conversations with the students.
1: Wow. So AI is already, it seems, having a real-life impact as well. Uh, I think we can... Uh, further extrapolate that these sorts of services will continue to develop and grow especially if they do yield positive results uh, some of which you've mentioned already that leads me i guess then to my final question do you uh, believe that korea perhaps as a society is ready to embrace these technologies Uh, what can we do to better adapt to these changes as well can you learn from perhaps other countries that have adopted similar technologies as well
3: Hmm. I, this is my personal opinion, but I, I think there is definitely more room for discussion on what kind of AI-automated society we want to live in, um, to basically ask ourselves, to what extent are we okay with AI playing a role in our society? Uh, for instance, um, some of the AI experts that I, I engaged with had their eyes on a practice in Germany, uh, where public opinion on such questions would be collected. Uh, to ensure that humans were at the center of every automated process of a local factory, uh, for instance. And I think everywhere, more people are asking whether AI would automate or augment our societies. And I think it's a valid question to think about, because um, taking humans out of the equation may save costs, but is that what we really want? And um, I think there's also a growing need to ask the question of how we can ensure that benefits of the advancements of AI can be shared equally by everyone. Um, economists are pretty clear on their outlooks that AI will put some people out of work, as most technological advancements have. And some people who cannot be trained to learn new skills will inevitably suffer. I think we need to be asking, do we have the welfare programs to ensure there are equal opportunities for everyone? Um, I think these are some of the questions, and, and there is probably more room for these discussions in the Korean society today.
1: Yes, so so much food for thought. Once again, there is perhaps a a long way to go before we can fully rise the uh, potential of AI uh, in this way that affects society uh, overall. But considering how things. How fast things have developed already perhaps is not uh, so far away. Certainly, Korea will be looking at all avenues to try and uh, prop up its economy and standing in the world uh, amid all the challenges it's facing with the population. Uh, We'll leave it there for today. We've been speaking to Esther Chung from the Korea Joong Daily. Thank you for briefing us on this situation today.
3: Thanks again.
0: Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 9.94 points or 0.40% on Monday to close the day at 2,514.95. The tech-heavy COSDAC also jumped, climbing 1.28 points or 0.15% to close at 828.52. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 1.81 against the U.S. dollar closing the day at 13041. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for
1: Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online, and we have with us contributor Diane Yu for this segment and she joins us in the studio now. Diane, hello, it's great to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, understand that we are starting today with a deeply troubling story.
5: Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that I have to open today's career Trending segment with a very disturbing and sad story that could upset our listeners. According to the Gwangju Metropolitan Police Agency on Sunday... A woman who threw her six-month-old daughter from the 15th floor of an apartment building in a fit of rage was arrested without a warrant. The arrest came after the deceased was discovered on the first floor of an apartment in Seo District in the city of Gwangju at around 6.20 a.m. the same day.
1: This is a truly terrible incident, Mm A mother? killing her child in such a horrific way. What led her to do this?
5: It was found that the 25-year-old mother of the baby and her 35-year-old husband had gotten into a fight and she was drunk at the time. After her husband left the house, she called him and threatened to kill the baby. And the husband told the police that by the time he came back to the house, the window was open and the baby was not there. During the investigation, it was confirmed that the baby was thrown by her mother.
1: There's really no way to try and make sense of this sort of inhumane act. But I understand that the police had actually responded to a call regarding this family just a couple of days before, right?
5: Correct. The police said on Monday that a domestic violence report was filed by someone in the apartment at around 3 a.m. last Friday. However, it was reported that the mother told the police who got to the scene that she did not want this to become an incident. So the officers went back without taking any measures. And then two days later, the deplorable incident took place. The mother admitted her wrongdoing and the police plan to apply for an arrest warrant as soon as the investigation is completed.
1: Yes, it looks like it is quite an open and shut case. We'll see how she is sentenced uh, in the coming weeks. But Mm -hmm. yes, it is just sad. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us?
5: Our next story is about a group of people's disruptive behavior in the departure hall of an airport lobby that was spotted in Korea. On the evening of November 23rd, passengers at Cheongju International Airport in northern Chungcheong province witnessed a group of intoxicated people drinking alcoholic beverages in a snack restaurant business next to a boarding area.
1: Okay, so can you walk us through what took place exactly and how it became an issue for other passengers?
5: Loud noises from around 30 people were causing a public nuisance, creating an uncomfortable atmosphere at the uh, airport for other passengers. Parents with young children even had to get as far away from them as possible. One passenger who was at the scene at the time said he was embarrassed that visitors from other countries would witness the situation as it was an international airport. The incident was reported to the airport, but the only response employees gave was there's no problem with drinking alcohol in the departure hall and we cannot stop people until they become unruly or cause harm to others.
1: Right, I see. So it looks like a large group of around 30 people, as you said, were drinking and getting drunk and rowdy and causing a scene. Mm. Now, while there is no law that prevents people from drinking in the departure hall of an airport... I believe the issue is that the group had gotten their beverages from a nearby snack restaurant business as well, right?
5: Right. Unlike ordinary restaurants, alcoholic beverages cannot be sold in a snack restaurant businesses such as cafes or bakeries under the Food Sanitation Act. The same goes for snack restaurant businesses at airports. However, one store has been selling alcohol in Cheongju International Airport. It turns out that Korea Airports Corporation, which operates the airport, didn't take proper action despite being aware of what was happening. There are calls for airports to become stricter with alcohol as it could cause more serious issues such as disruptions on airplanes. In fact, in March last year, a plane that was heading to Kimpo Airport from Jeju Airport had to return to Jeju mid-flight because of an accident with a drunken person.
1: Yes, and while we might understand that a group of people traveling together might be enjoying themselves, we would still want them to act responsibly and drink responsibly and be mindful of other passengers, especially as there might be children around. As you said, it is just simply rather embarrassing. Mm. Uh, Let's move on to our last story. What do you have for us?
5: Getting around Seoul can be a pretty easy task in the daytime as there are various types of public transport that can get you where you need to go. Late at night, however, it can be a lot more difficult. So according to the Seoul Metropolitan Government on Sunday, the city will begin the world's first late-night self-driving public bus service on Monday. With the name Late Night A21, two large electric self-driving buses will run 9.8 kilometers between Hapjong Station and Dongdaemun Station, where demand for late-night travel is high due to the concentration of university districts and large shopping malls. They will operate on weekdays from 11.30 p.m. to 5.10 a.m. the next day at 70-minute intervals.
1: Yes, this was mentioned in our previous segment. Uh, I understand that this isn't the first autonomous bus in Seoul. There mm-hmm. was one which went along uh, Chunggyecheon stream, another one in Yeido around the National Assembly buildings. Right. But this sounds like this will be quite the step up, navigating more major roads and a greater distance, mm-hmm. albeit late at night. But therefore, safety will, of course, be the number one concern, right?
5: Of course. And that's why the city has installed open traffic signal infrastructure in the bus-only lane and, and has verified safe operating conditions with external experts. Various safety measures were also put in place, such as installing seatbelts on all seats and prohibiting standing. For the time being, two special safety personnel will be on board to assist passengers getting on and off. It'll be operated free of charge for the time being, all you have to do is your tag your transportation card and board just like you would on a regular city bus although it is free the city requested that you tag your transportation card because it's linked to other public transportation's transfer discounts
1: But it won't be free forever, right? The city is going to introduce a proper fare later.
5: Yes, the city plans to charge the passengers beginning the first half of next year after stabilizing the bus's running process. The city announced that it plans to set the fare at slightly lower than the existing night bus fare of 2,501, which is slightly less than two U.S. dollars. However, the exact amount will be determined after deliberation by the Seoul Metropolitan Government's Autonomous Vehicle Management Committee.
1: So it looks like it could be another major milestone in the development of autonomous vehicles. Mm. We'll see if it does indeed succeed as well. That's where we're going to wrap it up for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. It's time now for us to look at some of the key sporting headlines, results, and updates. It is our Monday sports roundup, and for that, as usual, we lean on the help of sports reporter Yu Jiho from the Yanap News Agency. Jiho, hello, it's uh, great to talk to you again.
6: Hi, nice. it's great to be here too.
1: We start with a development that has stunned the South Korean footballing world. Suwon Samsung Blue Wings, one of the most decorated clubs in Korean football, suffered their first ever relegation to the K League 2 on Saturday. They finished dead last in the K League 1 and were relegated directly without even getting a chance to compete in a playoff like last year. They could have avoided the fate with a win on Saturday, but end up with a lackluster draw. Jiho, it really seems they have gone out with a whimper.
6: Yeah, I mean, indeed. I mean, this you know, this match against the Kaohsiung F.C. Suwon Something ended up playing to a goalless draw at home, but uh, you know, they really play passive football. They don't look like a desperate team trying to survive. Um, so you know, some people, some. Detractors say they deserve to get that uh, direct relegation to the K League 2 for next year. Uh, they finished in last place with 33 points. They're tied in points with the Swan FC, but had fewer goals 44 to 35. That's the first tie breaking category. So, like you said, Swan and Samsung have been a um, you know decorated franchise, really proud team also. Four K League titles, a whole bunch of other domestic and continental trophies. But they're going to be playing in the second division for the first time since the k-league introduced the, the promotion relegation system back in 2013 you know they've gone through two head coaches and two caretaker bosses this year alone and played the final match with their uh, the club legend gi hoon in charge of uh, the team in the caretaker role really he was not really put in a position to succeed uh, basically they threw him uh, under the bus and he Actually, had was forced to retire under these uh, unfortunate circumstances. Uh, Like I said, they really played a passive game. Uh, Maybe you know, apparently, trying not to lose instead of trying to win. These two different things. Uh, You know, they really should have been the aggressor, but they didn't have it in the final match. And a lot of emotions, predictably, from the stands among Suwon Samsung supporters. Uh, A lot of people shed tears after the final whistle, but also uh, they're really angry when the team officials and the coaches try trying to apologize through the PA system afterwards. So, um, you know, some of the fans try to block the team bus from leaving the stadium for a bit after the match. And uh, a lot of fans are really, uh, uh, again, uh, sadness, a lot of anger, mm. uh, a lot of frustration for these uh, fan base.
1: Right. Jiho, how did it get to this? Was it simply mismanagement from the management or were there other factors that evolves? What would it?
6: Well, it's a combination combination of a lot of things. I think people would point to the decreasing payroll, uh, the lack of investment over the years. Ever since the Samsung Group handed over the uh, management uh, duties to one of their marketing group, uh, marketing arm, uh, Jale Worldwide, uh, you know they've not been spending as much on players as they did maybe even a, just a few years ago. Um, you know they're still in the middle of the pack in player spending. But you know some of the money maybe didn't go wisely, um, and also this year, the past couple of years, they sold off some of the young players like Oh hyung Yu and Chung Sang-bin to overseas, to the MLS and to Scotland. You know they got you know pretty substantial transfer fees from those deals, but they didn't spend those money uh, you know wisely. It ended up some of the new settings didn't pan out, and also you know going through four coaches in one season, uh, well, just about eight or nine coaches in the last two three years. Uh, you know, basically going with uh, stop-gap measures without really uh, going through a, a more, more thorough uh, hiring process for the, for, the, for the new coach. So, again, a combination of many different things. Uh, this uh, downfall maybe has been, you know, maybe five, six years in, in the making for Su and Samsung.
1: Yeah, so it's an acrimonious end to their time in the top flight. But of course, it's not the end. There's always the chance that they can return next year. And on that note, let's talk about the current promotion slash relegation playoffs that's taking place this week. The two teams that finished just ahead of Suwon Samsung will be playing in those playoffs this week. Jiho, can you preview those matchups for us?
6: Yeah, sure. Well, 11th place Suwon FC will face K-League 2 runners-up Busan Ipark. park. Uh, looking for their first go-round in the K League one since 2020 Uh, so on FC got promoted for for the uh, 2021 season Uh, they've been able to stay in the big league since then now from the K League one the other playoff match will be between the 10th place Cowan FC versus uh, Kimpo FC who won a playoff match over Kangnam FC on Saturday uh, in the K League two this is only Kimpo's second season in the K League two they're on the verge of joining the big boys next year Kanwon last played in the K-League 2 back in 2016. we try to avoid going down there uh, for next year. So the first leg for both matchups will be 7 p.m. Wednesday. Busan and Kimpo, the K-League 2 teams, hosting the second leg 2 p.m. Saturday for both matchups. Suwon and Kawan, the two K-League 1 teams, being the hosts. So the winners will play in the K-League 1 next year. Uh, losers end up in the K-League 2 next year.
1: Despite the fate of those clubs still on the line, the K League held its annual awards ceremony this afternoon to hand out trophies for the MVP, Coach of the Year, and the Young Player of the Year. So, who took home the prizes then?
6: Yeah, so Kim Young Guan, who's the uh, center center back uh, defender for the uh, the champions Usa Hyundai FC, was named the MVP of the K League one. Uh, he's 33 years old uh, He's playing in just the second season in the K League one after spending his uh, earlier club career in Japan and China collected 55 out of 115 votes from the media 6 out of 12 from the head coaches and 4 out of 12 from captains of the clubs in the league so those totals uh, converted to 44.13 14 points for Kim uh, Zeka of Poang Steelers finishing in second place with 41 point 76 points so Kim becomes the second straight Wusan player to win the MVP after Lee Chong yong last year. He completed 2,268 passes. That's the most on his team, third most in, in the K-League 1. And uh, speaking of second consecutive awards, Hong Myung-bo, the head coach for Ulsan, won his uh, second straight Coach of the Year award, collecting 36 votes from the media, 9 from fellow coaches, and 4 from captains. Uh ho of Gwangju FC winning the Young Player of the Year award, which is given to the best player aged 23 or younger, with under three years of K-League experience. He played in the K-League 2 last year um, with Kwangju, won the Young Player of the, of the Year award then, and the uh, second straight award for him after recording uh, two goals and four assists. And in those six matches when he scored at least a goal or assist, Kwangju went undefeated with five wins and a draw.
1: OK, let's turn away from football now and turn to some off-season baseball news. Major League Baseball tendered a status check on free agent reliever Ham Deokju this week. He is the third KBO player to draw interest from MLB clubs, along with Kyum Heroes outfielder Lee jung and LG Twins closer koo But Ham's case came as a bit of a surprise. ji what do you make of this development and how likely he is going to sign with a major league team?
6: Yeah, maybe not very likely compared to the two other guys who will be posted. Uh, but there's a reason I think at least one team in MLB asked their office to do a status check on Ham-Dok-Joo. He really excelled out of the bullpen for the uh, Korean Series champions, LG Twins. Even though he missed a big chunk of the second half of the regular season with injury, uh, he had a really strong Korean Series when they, won, when they defeated the KT Wiz in five games uh, in November. Uh, the lefty hand, uh, left-handed Ham had the reverse splits, which means he actually pitched better against the right-handed hitters and the left-handed hitters H- has a really good deception with his delivery and really good change up as well uh, you know not every one of the status checks leads to an MLB contract for players or even negotiations with the uh, with MLB teams but uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see where this leads for Hamdukju there have been other players who had some status checks done on them but really, not, not even come close to signing mm. an a deal. But uh, Hamdok, to being a free agent, uh, you know, some, te- some teams might be interested in. Just I don't know, having a bit of a talk to talk with them uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks.
1: Indeed. So we'll be keeping an eye on his situation. Finally, we have some news from the figure skating world as well today. Chinese Canadian ice dancer Quan Ye has applied for special naturalization to become a Korean citizen, so he can compete at the Olympic Games with his. Korean Canadian partner Hannah Im. Uh, regular listeners to the show might recognise their names. We spoke to them for Touchbase in Seoul a couple of occasions in recent years, and Kwan's naturalisation was something we talked about during those interviews as well. So Jiho, what's the latest?
6: Yeah, so I was going to bring that up. There, I mean, those two—they're friends of the show, right? Uh, you know, Kwon—he was in Korea over the weekend for the first leg of the national team trials for the next season, and he told reporters that had submitted his application on Friday to the Justice Ministry to be, to be naturalized as Korean citizen so if he's successful is he going to be eligible to compete under the Korean flag with Hannah Lim at the Olympics in 2026 or even before that 2025 winter Asian Games in China now Quan and Lim have been partners for the past couple of years for the uh, International Skating Union events uh, representing Korea uh, because you know and this as long as one of the two skaters has a Korean citizenship that can represent the country but for the Olympic Games both skaters must have the same nationality in order to represent the country so Kwon uh, trying to get the Korean citizenship the so that, so that uh, he and uh, Hannah can skate for Korea at the Olympics coming up you know Kwon was actually born in Iceland to Chinese parents uh, lived briefly in China before moving to Canada when he was young uh, and he said he's been studying Korean language and Korean culture in Montreal you know, this would not be unprecedented uh, at PyeongChang 2018. Uh, we had the U.S. born ice dancer Alex Gamelin earning his Korean passport just beforehand to represent Korea with, uh, with his partner, Yura uh, Yu Min. So uh, it would be nice to see uh, those two, Kwon and Hannah, they've been you know, performing really well in the junior circuits. They've got a lot of promise coming up uh, for the uh, Olympics in about three years time.
1: Right, so there is president, as you said. I think we can expect to see Kwan perhaps competing with the Taegukki on his chest soon, but we'll wait and see. That's where we'll wrap it up for our roundup this week. Jiho, thank you for those updates, and we'll speak again soon. OK, thanks for having me.
6: Hello, everyone. This is Chelyse Yang Sung-won, Artistic Director of Music in Pyeongchang Festival. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio.
1: It's our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features, reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have our staff editor, Richard Larkin,
4: here with us. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. Okay, so what's the first article that you have for us today? It's Park Geun's article in the Culture section of the Korea Herald. So the Munich Philharmonic, Philharmonic went on a tour around Korea, performing seven concerts in six locations across the country. The tour came to an end last Friday, and it seems like it was a pretty successful one for the orchestra. The article includes information about what happened over the seven days. Okay, so
1: walk us through the tour. When these sorts of orchestras uh, come to town,
4: uh, they're usually guest performers, right? Yes. So the Munich Philharmonic performed the concerts with two different Korean musicians, violinist uh, Clara Jumi mi Kang and pianist Im Yoon-chan. We've talked about how popular Im is on the show before. Mm. <laughs> well, nothing has changed. Apparently, the tickets for the shows with the pianist went on sale in August, and they sold out within a minute. Wow. <laughs> yeah, maestro uh, Jung Myung-hoon explains that these two things, uh, the Philharmonic's career-only tour and the reaction to Im's participation, show just how far Korea has developed when it comes to classical music. Hmm, okay. In what way? So the conductor explained that the career-only tour shows that the audience for classical music has grown substantially uh, in recent years in the country. This means that other renowned orchestras are able to visit the country without having to add stops in Japan or China, for Mm. example. Chung also uh, added that powerful stars like him are able to attract a new audience base and inject vitality into the classical music scene. He actually gave the audience members of the tour a special surprise to mark the occasion at the end of the last show. He and the Munich Philharmonic performed Arirang, which touched those who were watching, they received a standing ovation at the end, mm. so yeah, it sounds like a very meaningful moment uh, for both the people who were lucky enough to get the tickets and the classical musicians themselves. Yes, it sounds like it really was a wonderful
1: tour yes. uh, i 'm sure. Fans who missed it will be very sore that they did, uh, Mm. but hopefully they will uh, come back and hopefully other uh, amazing orchestras
4: will come perform in Korea as well next year. Let's move on to our second article. What do you have for us? Well, we're sticking with the German theme. The German embassy (laughs) in Seoul will hold a special exhibition titled Journey Into Tomorrow from December 9th to the 17th at Duxu Palace's Don jun Hall. The event marks the 140th anniversary of diplomatic ties between Korea and Germany, and it was in collaboration with the Cultural Heritage Administration. Kim Hyun-bin's article in the Embassy Row section of the Korea Times has information about it, and it sounds quite interesting for history buffs.
1: Yes, indeed. It sounds like it will be a great way for people to learn about this unique
4: part of Korean history, Korea's relationship with Germany. Exactly, yeah. So the exhibition will display photographs and videos of important events, including Emperor Gojong's 1899 state visit, Korean minors and nurses who went to Germany in the 1960s, and the first German language educational institution in Korea, which was actually established in 1903. If any of our listeners in Korea have time and would like to check it out, I would say try to go to the exhibition on the first day. So that's December 9th. That's because the German ambassador will be holding a dialogue session so you can find out more about the bilateral bilateral diplomatic ties. Mm. And if you're interested in German, a German language workshop will also take place. So quite a few activities to enjoy.
1: Right, that's all for Morning Edition Preview today. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.
7: KBS World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? then K-pop connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon dang ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in!
6: KBS World Radio.